So, Rachel. Yeah? After an officer is killed in a freak accident, computer records indicate Kirk is to blame. Ooh. Oh, hey, do you think it's the lady computer getting her revenge on Kirk? Huh? In the last episode, he indicated that she should be shut down for saying, oh. Yeah? <laughs> no. I'm looking forward to her testimony in court. That would be good. But isn't Kirk indirectly to blame for most of the deaths we've seen so far? Uh, well, I mean, he's in command, so I guess technically, yeah. Yeah, and for saving them all many times, of course. That's true as well. Maybe he's to blame because he's overworked somebody and they're unfit to do the job. Mm. But surely not with all the leave going on. <laughs> <laughs> no one died in the last episode. They're trying to balance that out. Yeah. Let's get in there and see which new, never heard of before person's going to die this week. <laughs> Rachel Captain's log, star date 2947.3. We have been through a severe ion storm. One crewman is dead. Ship's damage is considerable. I have ordered a non-scheduled layover on Starbase 11 for repairs. A full report of damages was made to the commanding officer of Starbase 11, Commodore Stone. Welcome back. I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And you're listening to... Rachel Watches Star Trek. Whoa, that intro was in Japanese. Ooh. How did that happen? That was sent in from listener Frank Bailey, all the way from Japan, I think. Oh, wow. International. I have to apologize to everybody. I have a very bad cold, so I'm a little raspy. This episode is brought to you by colds and our children being off school for the fifth day and the last <laughs> nine for a snow closure. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting by. <laughs> But let's get into this episode. It starts off on a planet where Starbase 11 is located. Kirk is just chilling with Commodore Stone, a black man who is his superior officer, mm -hmm. which is pretty forward thinking for that period of time. Yeah, it's great. Shame his eyeline's so off. His what? There's no eye contact or he's looking in the wrong place on Kirk. It's just creeping me out. <laughs> Was he blind? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I missed that in the reading, but I didn't get that impression that he was blind. Maybe just me. Let me know, anybody, if you noticed it too. <laughs> Kirk is going over his sworn deposition on the account of the incident that led to the death of Benjamin Finney. Mm. Spock is supposed to be there, but he's running late for some reason. Kirk tells Commodore Stone that he waited until the last possible moment with the ship at red alert, but the ion storm got worse. Kirk had to eject the ion pod in which Finney was thereby killing him. What? Why? I didn't understand the basic concept. Yeah, I had to look it up and I still didn't really get it from the explanation that I read online, but it is basically there's a section of the ship that the guy has to get into so that when there's an ion storm, they can monitor it and detect it and uh, get more information about the mm -hmm. storm. Why? Uh, I don't know why you couldn't just send a remote controlled vehicle or a pre-programmed vehicle mm. to go out there and get the readings and then come back. I guess mm. there needed to be some kind of manual control. I don't know if anybody <sighs> understands what the ion pod is and how it works. I would be 
uh, very happy to hear about that from yeah. any of the listeners. Why would they have to eject it? I guess just for the safety of the ship, maybe if it was mm. still attached, that it would cause a major explosion of some mm. kind, I'm guessing. <laughs> Again, all conjecture on my part. Hmm. Spock finally breezes in with the computer records. Uh, then comes in this young girl, Benjamin Finney's daughter, Jamie Finney, and mm. she's tearful and angry at Kirk for letting her father die. Ooh. Stone tells Spock to take the girl out of there and just, you know, rough her up a bit. Aww. <laughs> he doesn't say that. But, you know, that's implied, I think. It's, it's all in the subtext. Poor thing. The costume's not helping this acting challenge to be pulled off. Yeah. It's kind of a weird looking, like a sailor. Mm. Then crossed with a Roman centurion, but made out of a semi kind of transparent, <laughs> glittery fabric. Yeah. It's not a good look. <laughs> And I'm not sure exactly how old she's supposed to. I mean, they mm. seem to be dressing her down, but the actress is obviously in her 20s, if yeah. not 30s. She's very short. And I think that's kind of making it seem like she's young. But Wow. Are they casting people from a distance? <laughs> Maybe they all have really bad vision <laughs> yeah. on production and the cinematographer doesn't bother telling them anything. Kirk's very gentle with her and seemingly unaffected by it. But it must really tear him up inside, surely. Yeah. Unless he's had to learn to dissociate from this type of thing emotionally to prevent himself from vicarious trauma. Mm, yeah, I could, I could understand that. It, there's lots of people that have died on the show, some of mm -hmm. whom he was directly responsible for yeah so uh you know if he's just sitting around crying all the time feeling bad about it he's not going to get his job done so well not just sitting around crying but even letting that emotion get in maybe too much for him to be able to continue over time be. do you think that would have long-term uh, effects on a person how long could you go on if you could really face and feel the effects of devastation of your own decisions or even just to be around people in pain destruction dying mm. After Jamie leaves, Commodore Stone accuses Kirk of perjuring himself because the computer records state that he ejected the pod before the red alert. Mm -hmm. Stone orders Kirk to stay at Starbase 11 for an inquiry on whether he should be court-martialed. Kirk says, I'm innocent. Kirk and McCoy go to the M11, the lounge on Starbase 11. It's pretty 60s swanky. Yeah, it is. Kirk sees a bunch of his academy mates, but they're all giving him the snub because they think he's the cause of Finney's death. Oh, that is my nightmare school reunion. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that you would go to your reunion and they would be all mad at you because you killed somebody? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I had. <laughs> Kirk has had enough of them giving him lip, so he leaves. And as he leaves, in walks a real Shaw. Dr. McCoy comes creeping up on her. She looks more his age group. Yeah, but... She's not supposed to be, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's looking for Kirk. And she says, hey, I'm an old friend of his. And McCoy says, all my old friends look like doctors. All his old friends look like you. <laughs> it was funny. It was. But then maybe if you weren't such a mean creep, girls would want to stay friends with you, McCoy. Yeah. You know, that's the thing about Kirk. He seems to be friends with all of his ex-girlfriends. Mm. Meaning that, you know, he was a pretty good guy and had amicable breakups with them. And, yeah, it seems yeah. that way. I just like to think about Kirk having a, like a dating life and a dating history. and He left them all in a better state than he found them. Yeah. That's nice. Campsite rule. <laughs> Campsite rule. <laughs> in the Commodore's office, Stone begins the inquiry. Kirk describes the relationship that he had with Finney, and they were close. Finney even named his daughter after Kirk, James, Jamie. She believes he killed her dad now. Mm. That's not what you hope for from a godfather, is it? <laughs> no. Years later, they both serve on the Republic, where Kirk took over a shift from Finney and he found that there was this open circuit 
to the atomic matter pile and it was supposed to be closed. So mm. Kirk closed it and logged it. Now, this open door could have caused the ship to explode. It was very dangerous. Uh, that's what was going on. Finney got reprimanded and he blamed Kirk for getting sent to the bottom of the promotion list. He blames Kirk for him not yet being a captain. It's easy to blame someone else for your own incompetence. Sure, that's a natural human <laughs> failing. But you've got to log stuff when the stakes are that high. Yes, of course. There's no covering up for incompetence and mistakes in a situation like that. Yeah, definitely. Stone then asks about the Ion Storm. Kirk says that he had Finney occupy the Ion Pod only because he was at the top of the roster. Mm -hmm. Finney was in the pod just before they got to the storm. Kirk signaled the yellow alert due to pressure variant stress four seven something or other why couldn't finney come out at that point maybe they still needed more readings and at mm. yellow alert it's not dangerous enough Oof. i guess then kirk signaled the red alert because it was getting more dangerous and he told finney get out of that pod and he delayed ejecting the pod as long as he could with it still being safe for mm -hmm. the whole ship the computer logs however show that he ejected the pod at yellow alert and kirk says that the computer is just wrong i know what i did i believe in you kirk <laughs> Stone stops the recording and offers up that maybe stress clouded his judgment. He's been on the Enterprise for a while and he must be worn out. And burnout is really topical at the moment. Mm. And I'm interested in it as a therapist. Let's look at it in concepts. Okay, yeah, sure. Stone says that he could be lenient in the report and just give him a, a ground assignment, take him off command of the Enterprise. Stone says that no Starship captain has ever been court-martialed. And Kirk is pissed at the idea of having to take some kind of plea bargain. And he knows what he did and he's sticking to it. I'm telling you I was there, on the bridge. I know what happened, I know what I did. It's in the transcript. And computer transcripts don't lie. No, I'm telling you, Captain, either you accept a permanent ground assignment or the whole disciplinary way to Starfleet Command is going to light right on your neck. So that's the way we do it now, sweep it under the rug and me along with it. Not in your life. I intend to fight. Then you draw a general court. Draw it, I demand it. And right now, Commodore Stone, right now. In your face, Commodore 64. <laughs> There's no way Kirk's going to accept a ground assignment. He's obsessed with the ship. Yeah, He'll no. never be parted from that. What do you think he means sweep it under the rug? Kind of like an abusive priest being reassigned to a new church. <laughs> well, I think it's that Starfleet has this reputation of top-of-the-line captains. They don't mm. make mistakes. They're awesome. They're super well-trained, brilliant people. Yeah. And since none of them have ever been court-martialed for any wrongdoing... Mm. Kirk being court-martialed would lower the status of all Starfleet. Keep themselves squeaky clean looking. Yes, Rather exactly. than deal with the problem if it turned out that there was one. Yeah. So the Enterprise is mostly repaired, but Kirk is waiting around for his court-martial. He meets up with his ex-lover, mm. lover, mm. Lieutenant Ariel Shaw in the swanky Starbase lounge. She says that she hasn't seen Kirk in... Four years, seven months, and an odd number of days. But who's counting? <laughs> Spoiler, she was. <laughs> yeah. She gets all serious with him about the trial, saying the prosecution will argue Kirk versus the computer, and the computer is never wrong, so he will lose. He asks her to be his attorney, but she says she's busy with another case. His prosecution, you I said. said. Yeah, I did say that. Uh, she recommends Samuel T. Cogley. Kirk asks how she knows the prosecution is going to do all this stuff, and she says... Because I am the prosecution. <laughs> Called it! <laughs> Sorry to be mean, but it was totally obvious. 
You're obvious. <laughs> but having her be the prosecution, it's solid writing. It ups the level of drama, the stakes, mm. the relationships. They're all being laid out and, and put under stress. Mm. It's really good. Even though we've never met her before, she's brought in with a real internal conflict between the guy that she still has a lot of feelings for mm-hmm. and her respect for her job yeah. and client. Yeah. It's good. She says that it's her duty to do her best and to get him disgraced. She leaves the bar after that because she figures this probably kills any chance of hot love. Uh, Or does it? mm, What are you going to do to me? I'm going to disgrace you. Mm. (laughs) Convict you of negligence and get you thrown out of Starfleet never to work again. Wait, what? (laughs) I'll bone it down. (laughs) (laughs) Kirk goes back to his temporary quarters, quite spacious, actually. Mm -hmm. And there's this little old guy with a ton of books. And I mean a ridiculous amount of books. Uh, This guy goes on and on about how books are better than computers. An argument that I feel is personally just about aesthetics. But Mm -hmm. these books are where the law is. Yeah, he's arguing you can't just get your answer from a computer. Pull up a law in isolation. You have to know it in context in its entirety and know the language and evolution of ideas of different lawmakers. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I understand what he's saying. But a book is just words. And you can have words on a computer screen. You could get all that information from a computer file Hmm. and maybe he's saying that you don't want a computer to just selectively pick bits here and there that you want to be able to read the greater context of things and i understand that but you can still do that on a computer you don't have to have a physical book kirk says you're either an obsessive crackpot or samuel t cogley attorney at law and without missing a beat the guy says right on both accounts (laughs) and that gave me a solid laugh yeah and he's got a coarse brown collarless weird kind of crossover yeah medieval yeah it's kind of jacket on it's sort of those kind of primitive futuristic looking kind of Mm. things it's it's strange uh but he agrees to take kirk's case The court-martial begins with Commodore Stone in charge with a bunch of Starfleet fancy pants there. Very ethnically diverse. Yeah, I thought so. Kirk consents to the people arranged there as well as Shaw as prosecutor and Stone as judge. The computer lists the charges and Kirk pleads not guilty. The judges are very ethnically diverse, which is great. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very progressive for the time period. However, none of them are women. Mm -hmm. So it seems like the, the racial progress is going a bit faster than the the gender progress that yeah. was going on in the 1960s. Mm, which if you look at the presidents, it may have been prophetic. Oh, yeah. I guess. I didn't even think of that, yeah. The prosecutor, Shaw, calls Spock to the stand, where he he's kind of sitting all slumped over. Oh, yeah? And I kept thinking, well, maybe he just doesn't want to be there, so he's just kind of, you know, grumpy. But oh, yeah. He needs to sit up straight, he's Spock. Uh, <laughs> and the strange thing is that he says he's Vulcanian. Yeah! Which, I said he was from Vulcania. You did say that. I guess they did on the show as well, but that's something that doesn't stick around. And every time these little things pop up, it reminds me that this show isn't made like modern shows. They just were making it up as they went along. Hmm. There's no Bible. There's no, you know, figuring out the series arc. There's no uh, character bios and backgrounds. They're just kind of like, let's do it in this particular episode. Uh, Spock's got a sister or hmm. Kirk likes Cheetos, you know, like... <laughs> That's not all pre-decided before. They're just, this is all by the seat of their pants. I really wish they'd be consistent on the Kirk likes, doesn't like Cheetos (laughs) arc. (laughs) But maybe they didn't know how many episodes they could get away with uh, producing. Well, sure. But I mean, I I guess if I was making a TV show, I'd be pretty excited about it. I'd want to sit down and nerd out about that kind of thing. But these guys probably weren't nerds. They were just dudes making a TV show. (laughs) Doesn't it make you still mad about Lost? 
Oh my God, I'm so mad about Lost. <laughs> yeah, what Rachel's referring to is I was super into Lost for the first few seasons. And then I remember reading an interview with the writers and they said, oh yeah, we don't know where it's going. We're uh. just making this up as we go. And I said, what? Oh, you got to do that. And it shows by the end of the uh. series. It was, oh, I was so cross about that. Anyway, oh. Shaw asked Spock if he knows anything about computers. And Spock's like, hell yeah, I know about computers. I am one. <laughs> she then asked Spock if he knows of any malfunctions that happened in the Enterprise's computer. And he said, no, but the ship seems to be in working order. I thought, oh no, please don't let Spock give testimony that sends Kirk down. Oh, that would break my heart. <laughs> However, Spock does say, but the computer is inaccurate, nevertheless. Yes. Spock posits that the computer was saying that Kirk was reacting to an extreme emergency that did not yet exist, and Kirk would not do that. Kirk's characteristics are as predictable as gravity <laughs> and do not include panic or malice. Oh, he loves him. <laughs> he does. <laughs> and he doesn't tend to panic or act in malice, but I'm not sure he's right that he's as predictable as gravity. He can be all over the place sometimes. <laughs> well, if there's a Shakespearean troupe on board the Enterprise, then yeah, that could kind of throw him off a bit. <laughs> That's not the only time. <laughs> <laughs> However, Shaw does get him to admit that this is just his opinion. Hmm. Cogley doesn't cross-examine. Lieutenant Shaw calls personnel officer, who is an East Asian woman. Mm-hmm. Also excellent on the diversity. She confirms Finney and Kirk were ensigns together on the Republic. Shaw then calls McCoy saying he's an expert on space psychology. Oh, <laughs> no. But this actually makes sense, I guess, because she clarifies the effects on mental health of long-term space travel. Is that oh. okay for you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll let that one slide. That works. <laughs> she asks if it's possible for someone to grow to hate someone because that person hates them. McCoy repeats that Kirk is not that kind of guy, but admits it's possible. Mm. Cogley doesn't cross-examine. It's like he's planning something. Are we supposed to worry that he's incompetent or negligent at that point? I don't think so. I didn't. Yeah, it's like he's uh, you know, a chess master. He's three moves ahead of him and he's figuring mm. things out and he's playing his game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though that doesn't really pan out in the episode. <laughs> he just goes by the seat of his pants, really. Yeah, I guess so. Commodore Stone asks Cogley, you should be cross-examining these witnesses. And he says, hey, I just want Kirk on the stand. Let's go get him up. The computer starts listing all of Kirk's awards and commendations. Shaw tries to halt it, but Cogley insists it continues. The wheels of progress should not run over his client. Mm. It's funny how each witness has to hand over a little coloured ID tape that mm. can be put into the computer to be read. It's cute, but it's inconsistent. <laughs> the computer could just be asked for that information. Yeah. So Cogley asks Kirk if there was a red alert before the pod was ejected. Kirk says, hell yeah. Mm -hmm. When it's Shaw's turn to cross-examine him, she plays a video record of the bridge. Oh, not again. It shows the whole bridge, everybody on board, and it's just as Kirk described it. But she asks for a zoom in on Kirk's hand on his little control panel, and it cuts to a different angle. Shenanigans. It shows Kirk pressing the button during the yellow alert, but it's a cutaway. Yeah. Why didn't Why didn't they show a continuous shot? Nobody pointed this out in the courtroom, and it drove me crazy. Yeah, they could have edited any old shit together <laughs> to prove anything. <laughs> so Kirk, of course, says that this didn't happen. So things are looking bad for Kirk, although we believed in him. Of course we did. He starts to have a bit of self-doubt, but no, he knows what he did. He calls Spock back on the Enterprise to see if there's anything from the computer scans. Kirk knows nothing, right? And Spock says yes. Then Kirk says, maybe you can beat your new commanding officer at chess. Oh. Then Spock raises an eyebrow and says, chess? Then runs off. 
Oh no, not 3D chess again. <laughs> Your favorite game. Ugh. Jamie Finney comes into Kirk's quarters and asks him to change his plea. She feels bad for how she acted earlier because she read some of their old letters between Kirk and her dad. And now she sees that Kirk really did care about him. But Kirk, he ain't changing nothing. He didn't do anything wrong. Mm -hmm. Back on the Enterprise, Spock is playing my favorite game, mm, 3D three, chess. 3D chess. <laughs> McCoy comes in and gets to indulge in his favorite hobby, berating Spock. <laughs> Ugh. Kirk's career is hanging in the balance and all you can do is play chess. Has he learned nothing? <laughs> he suddenly reminded me of the cruel voices heard by some people with schizophrenia. Oh. You're bad, you're failing your best friend. How can you be so lazy and useless? Oh, oh. golly. Spock is like, dude, I ain't playing. I'm winning four times in a row. <laughs> and he goes, I shouldn't be able to beat the computer. The best I could hope for is a draw. Spock says that he programmed it himself and that this shouldn't be possible. Something is wrong with the computer. Yeah, he solved it again. Come on, McCoy, remember it this time. <laughs> he likes to drink. <laughs> the court martial is back in session. The prosecution and the defense have both rested, then in runs Spock and McCoy. Mm -hmm. Cogley tells the court they have new evidence. Shaw objects to Cogley's well-known theatrics and didn't think he was particularly being theatrical, no. but Cogley goes on for ages. And age is about man versus machine. And I felt like about halfway through his speech, the court was just going to go, okay, yeah, we'll hear it. We'll hear it. We'll admit it. No, no just, okay, just stop for a second. <laughs> no, let me convince you some more. <laughs> Cogley gets them to reconvene the court up on the Enterprise. Now they're in the briefing room. Spock testifies that he's won five games against the computer. <laughs> he's played another since yeah. he proved it. Well, he's just got to make sure. You know, he's Spock. He's thorough. And that is something that is impossible. Spock says that for this to happen, someone must have accidentally or deliberately changed the programming. Mm. And the only people on the ship that could have done that were Kirk, Spock, and Finney. And I was like, what? Finny did it? Finney got himself killed? This guy we've never heard of before is one of only three people with access? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why we're hearing about him. Cogley then says to Kirk, you did a really extensive search for his body and you didn't find it. And Kirk says, yeah, but oh, wait, hell no. And then it was like, oh, my God, Finney's not dead. That was a good surprise. It was a good surprise. Kirk is horrified by this realization. And Cogley says, gentlemen, I submit to you that Lieutenant Commander Ben Finney is not dead. To prove this, Kirk orders the whole crew back to the star base. Shall leave. <laughs> and the court goes to the bridge. Kirk orders that they shut down the impulse engines as the ship naturally orbits the planet. One of the judges worries about the orbit decaying, but Kirk says they'll be done long before that is an issue. Spock uses the ship's internal sensors to amplify the heartbeats of everyone on the ship. <laughs> McCoy uses what looks like a microphone, mm -hmm. but he calls it a white sound device. <laughs> to block out each person's heartbeat. He goes around holding it to their heart one by one, and that somehow eliminates their heartbeat from the mix. <laughs> and it's great too, because after there's like two heartbeats left, and then they go, okay, let's cut out the sounds of the transporter technician's heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And then there's one heartbeat left. And I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> if you could just cut out his, why don't you just cut out everybody on the bridge's heartbeat? Oh, yeah. But basically everybody's accounted for, except there's one extra heartbeat and that, is coming from engineering, it must be Finney. It was pretty silly and convoluted, but it's innovative, I guess, and, and you know how much I love white noise. <laughs> so I still liked it. <laughs> yeah, it was dramatic. So Kirk goes alone, hoping to talk Finney down, which didn't really make a lot of sense to me. Mm. Finney is hiding in engineering. You can hear him talking, but you can't see where he is because of the echoing effect. And he's totally out of his mind. He jumps out, he's unshaven, he's got wild eyes, mm. and he's got a phaser. He looks like an older, weirder, less sexy Kirk. <laughs> he does. <laughs> 
He says that there was a conspiracy to rob him of his command, and now they're all going to pay. They're all going to pay. He sabotaged the whole ship to crash. Kirk tries to reason with him, but they end up fighting. Back on the bridge, Spock suggests they all beam back, but Stone's like, Finney's testifying right now. We need to hear this. (laughs) (laughs) What? How are you going to bring this information if you're all dead? Like, uh, let's get off the bridge, for crying out loud. Press the record button. You know, it's, no, it's got to yeah. be one of those somewhere. As they fight, Kirk tells Finney that Jamie is on board the Enterprise, and he had hoped that she would help talk Finney down. This freaks Finney out, and he starts crying like a baby. It's like, why did you do that? Why did you do that? There was actually a scene written in the script where she comes in, and she's the one that convinces her dad to explain what he did to sabotage the ship so that Ah. Kirk could fix it. But for time reasons, they had to cut the scene out, and they did it as a voiceover when they show Kirk crawling in the Jeffrey's tubes, fiddling around with the wires and stuff. At that point, once the Enterprise is working again, Uhura takes the navigation controls, which for some reason was kind of hot to me. I don't know what was the scene up there doing the thing. I was like, ooh, girl, what's going on with you? (laughs) She was so on it. She's a great all-rounder, isn't she? Just waiting for a chance. She is a Starfleet professional. Mm -hmm. She knows how to do all that stuff. She can do the con. She can do the navigation. Oh, yeah. Communication. She is set. So Stone rules that the trial is dismissed and Shaw says that she has no obligations. She's thinking, yes, I'm totally going to get lucky now. (laughs) Cut to the Enterprise, recruited and ready to depart. Shaw gives Kirk a book that Cogley wanted him to have. She says Cogley is going to represent Finney. (laughs) (laughs) Kirk says to Shaw, maybe you'll have better luck on your next case. She says, I had good luck on this one. Oh, because he uh, won and she loves him. Yeah. She says, would it ruin your authority if you kissed me on the bridge? Kirk says, let's find out. It's been a while since he's had a kiss, as far as we know. So I'm very happy for him. Yeah. They smooch and the Kirk looks around and says, seems everything's still in order. (laughs) (laughs) Shaw leaves and Spock and McCoy stand next to Kirk as he sits down. Everyone is facing forward and there's this long pause. (laughs) She's a very good lawyer. Obviously. Indeed she is. (laughs) (laughs) Low expectations really exceeded. Yeah, as a kid, I remember thinking this was boring as dirt. Mm -hmm. But as an adult, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Let's get into concepts. I didn't think this was very sci-fi at all. Uh. It could have been set in almost any kind of time, maybe on some other kind of ship with only slight modifications. You know, obviously Uh. no ion storm pod or something. But there's no interesting sci-fi concepts being thrown around like dogs talking or people... (laughs) Traveling back in time with their ears. You know, nothing like that. Are those two real episodes? Yes, those are coming up in the third (gasps) season. So for me, it wasn't uh, conceptually very challenging, so I give it a three. Oh, I found it interesting to consider the idea of Kirk being burned out and therefore compromised in decision making and his accurate adherence to protocol, for Mm -hmm. example. He insists he's not burned out, but would he recognize it if he was? Mm. Many people don't, and they feel unable to do anything about it, even if they did just soldier on. To be anything but strong and unflappable is not good enough in a lot of workplaces and shameful. So a little public service announcement about burnout. All right. Yeah. um, Okay. Give us us some psychology here. This is from an article in The Guardian online recently. Mm. Five signs you could be suffering from burnout. People in the throes of or heading towards burnout might experience the following symptoms, say psychologists Rachel Andrew and Brian Rock. You feel exhausted with no energy to do anything. You might experience disturbed sleep and some flu-like symptoms. Mm. Mm. 
you have difficulties concentrating and feel as if your mind is zoning out, going into a daze for hours on end. You feel irritated and frustrated, often becoming self-critical. Supermarkets and similar places begin to feel overwhelming. The lights are too bright and there is too much noise. That's quite common among clients of mine with anxiety. Oh, right. Supermarkets. Yeah, mm. yeah. You feel detached from things you used to love. So if you're experiencing any of those things or you think somebody that you're working with or know is maybe you could go and see your doctor or a therapist to delve into that and see how it can be yeah. resolved. It may not resolve itself on its own if you stay putting yourself under the same amount of pressure as you certainly sure. are. So is burnout a form of depression or anxiety? I'd say it's a result of prolonged exposure to anxiety or prolonged exposure to too much intensity of work without enough time Stress. for yourself perhaps or an unsupportive environment mm. a sense of being worn out yeah perhaps less able to do it but with no less pressure to achieve it mm, yeah yeah I've, i have to be really careful with it myself because of all the distress that i am sure. part of as a therapist yeah, yeah so i'm going to see a therapist soon because i've noticed that my jaw's quite tense at the moment. I'm kind of clenching one of my fists and mm -hmm. I think my body's trying to say to me that I just need a little bit of TLC <laughs> and <laughs> to explore what's going on. Right. It, well, yeah, know? I mean, uh, being a therapist is taking on a lot of other people's problems. It's it's probably impossible to stay detached and not be able to empathize with them and what yeah. they're going through. And of course, you're going to carry that with you. Were there other aspects of this that you found interesting, conceptually speaking? Uh, the heartbeat eliminating white noise microphone was a bit of weird, fun <laughs> kind of sci-fi stuff. The computers versus books stuff was... Okay, they didn't really go into it that much, did no. they? A computer can only be as clever as its programmer and could never beat the programmer at chess. Is that true now? I wouldn't have thought. Mm, uh, no, I don't think. I think you can program a computer to be better at something than a person can be. Mm. I'm sure the programmers that made the chess playing programs weren't necessarily chess players. Yeah. But actually, that's Spock's point, isn't it? That the computer should be able to beat him at least half of the time, if not more. Oh, and right, he yeah. was able to beat it. Yes. So, yeah, fair yeah. enough. Okay. Fair enough, Spock. Yeah, of course it's Spock. Hello. Don't, <laughs> yeah. don't challenge Spock. I was a little unclear on the function of Jamie, the mm -hmm. little girl. I don't know if they could have perhaps completed that arc a little more fully. Yeah, I think her, her purpose was to show that there was a, a deeper personal relationship with Finney mm -hmm. and Kirk and that they had a history together and that it was complicated. It wasn't clear yeah. cut. And obviously he cared about her and he had to deal with that. You know, the repercussions of somebody dying, having to see his daughter suffer was rough. And I think it just put Kirk under more pressure and mm -hmm. heightened the drama. Yeah. But hang on a minute. Why was she there? On the Starbase? Was Finney working on there, but she just happened to be on the Starbase? Oh, yeah. People's families are not just kicking about, are they? I don't think so. Maybe they had her shipped in for funeral things. I don't know. That's a good point. So what do you give it as a rating? Um, Concepts. I'm going to say by my rating system, which doesn't take into account how sci-fi it is, uh, seven. Oh, okay. Probably wasn't really a seven for Concepts, but I enjoyed it so much. I wanted to give it a high score. Okay. <laughs> well, that's entertainment for me, but... Mm, yeah, maybe so. Well, entertainment, I give it a seven. I thought it was great. It was really interesting. They had lots of good turns, good drama, good acting. Uh, there's a few plot holes and things I don't quite understand, but it doesn't really matter. Yeah, we didn't care, did we? No. Tense, fast-paced, high stakes, some mystery. It surprised us. Mm -hmm. It achieved what, for my money, the Galileo 7 failed to do in terms of tension. I actually preferred it, controversially, to Balance of Terror. What, this episode? Yeah, but if I'm remembering rightly. There's no Romulans in this episode. <laughs> there's no 
concrete falling from the ceiling of a spaceship in this <laughs> oh, episode. Come yeah, did on. You miss that? <laughs> I did have low hopes for this one, though. Just the title alone. So you give it a... Because Kirk had three costumes, including the wrap over top, <laughs> seven. <laughs> Sexiness. Um, I give it a seven purely for her at navigation. I don't know why that was so hot. <laughs> it was that? just something about it. Woo! I don't know. It just tripped my trigger. Also, Shaw and Kirk's flirting was pretty sexy, I thought. Yeah, it was yeah. all right. Yeah, I give it a seven. Seven. Wow. Yeah. Mm, I'll just go and make a navigation console from some cardboard <laughs> boxes upstairs. Excuse me. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'll go for a five. Oh. Uh, the next episode that we're covering is called Return of the Archons. I looked at a picture from this and the synopsis. I don't remember it at all. I don't even remember meeting them the first time. <laughs> hey, I just want to remind folks that this second episode of the month has been brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Thank you. And I just want to remind folks that if you're at the $2 patron level, you get the show one week early and you get the comments show. And at five and up, you get an extra bit of content. This month, we are doing another episode of The Outer Limits. So yeah. I'm looking forward to covering that. So if you've been thinking about being a patron, you could go on there now and access all the comment shows that there have been, if you fancy that. Yep. You could have the bonus content from last month, which was me reading some slash fiction, which was <laughs> actually delicious, <laughs> and doing a little review of that. Thank you again for, for supporting us. And also... Tell your friends, tell people. Yeah, spread the word, please. Please spread the word. We've got some new backers since our last backer uh, litany. And mm -hmm. Hello, new patrons. Thank you so much, patrons, for, for supporting our show. First, Phil Garland. He knows what he did. <laughs> yeah. Robert Poyton was lost in time, but now found in love. Aw. Zane Schwartfiger is made of star stuff. <gasps> Cal Raid knows where the robots are hiding. Oh my gosh, why won't he tell us? Jenny Prenitz is part of the Q Continuum. Huh? It's a next gen thing. Uh, Brian Bowes loves Spock almost more than he should. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> Patreons, thank you so much for your support. If it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be doing this. And uh, with that, I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And you've been listening to... Rachel Watches Star Trek. Star Trek を見る。